that was awesome. Great service so far. Thank you, Jerry, for your humble. And uh, Aaron Stroud, thank you for leading us in contribution. It's awesome to see the young campus students growing and raising up. Come on. Well, Sonia and I, as you know, we uh, traveled to Phoenix last week, and I want to thank Chamba for leading church and preaching the word. Good job, bro. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, we were uh, in Phoenix, and we went to see my mom and my family, and also went to a 41-year uh, high school reunion. For me, not my wife, hers is not, that, not near there. Um, and... Um, and then we got to be with the Phoenix Church. I got to, we got to preach. Sonia got to share. Cassidy did share for communion. It was awesome just to, as a family, be serving. So it was like, uh, it, was just, it was really cool. We got with uh, the leaders of the church there, and they send their regards to you guys. And it's just great to be part of a movement. But, you know, as I was there and uh, going to the reunion and seeing uh, people I haven't seen for some of them 40 years, others 20 years, some I knew I've stayed in touch with, but... Um, I just had a, like a, I tell Sonia this lately, not only there, but there's a, there's a, a sadness in me from time to time that um, it's been there for a while. And um, I don't understand, except I think I just get sad because the longer I understand God and how much grace I need and how incredibly precious it is, the more, uh, the sad I get when I reach out to people and more than not want to understand or want to study the Bible or get to know God. And I realize, I start to look at it myself like, am I just, do I need to get a, like a better approach on sharing my faith or my, what am I doing? And then I realize, you know, you can always, it's always by faith, but then I realize I have no control. Uh, and I realize Jesus predicts this. So I realize that part of maturing in Christ is having a subtle sadness in you. It's not that it steals your joy, but it's just real. And I'm going to talk about that today because I think as you mature more, it's not like the lost is on your shoulders because that would be self-righteous. We need salvation and grace. But you know that God gives us a purpose, right, to be fishers of men and women. And you want more than anything to help share the word and see people come to Christ and, 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 be, and really be changed and, and receive salvation, get salvation. So the title of this lesson is Blinded No More. But I, uh, I realize, man, it's, uh, it's tough. Life is tough anyway, but I just was seeing everybody, and everybody in my class, there was 100, and, uh, in the 40-year reunion, there was like over 120 people, which is a lot for a 40-year reunion. Yeah. 10 might be pretty much, 20, you're probably going to get a decent crowd, 30, and then 40 years, over 120 people came. And uh, Sonia obviously got to meet a lot of them. And, and you know, they, they all, many were doing very well uh, financially. They've achieved, I mean, there's a lot of well-off people. They looked good. They were healthy, which is a good thing, right? You want to take care of yourself. But I realized, uh, and I don't know where all of them are, but I know some of my friends that uh, I, when I became a Christian, I shared with them, and they, they don't understand. When I share with them, they'll go, you know, they're like, they're like I'm happy for you. And, and, 
And I only can say this because I know some of their lives. And when you know someone's life enough, it's not that you're judging them, but you have to love people enough if you get in there and they get to endear themselves to you where you, you still have to let the scriptures and God do the revealing of where they're at. But you really can get a good idea if someone has a pattern of a life as a Christian or not, right? Because there's a pattern of life. And I was like, man, I just wish I could shake people and go, no, no, I want you to understand this is God. But then I realized it took me, I didn't become a Christian until I was 31. And I don't know, I mean, I, I wasn't, like, I don't remember looking for it, but I was, you know, definitely lost, not realizing that, not even really thinking on it. So God's patience is huge. But it's a sadness seeing the state of the world, seeing people, seeing people's marriages deteriorate. There was probably people in our class that were too times divorced some even three and I was just like you know with God you you don't have to that's that's not a word involved I mean if two people stay righteous as disciples and you know sin and grace is there but it's just it's tough I don't know if you can relate to that and if you look in uh uh Luke chapter 19 verse 1 and and why I say this sadness was hitting me was with I found myself getting disillusioned and this will happen to you as you stay faithful. I've been a Christian 27 years, and you always got to go, how do you stay zealous and on fire for God? Because God wants us to be on fire for God. He wants us to love God with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I've seen in many senses, it's not an excuse, but you see older Christians. What I mean is Christians that are physically get older, and then also they've been Christians for all. Sometimes they just kind of drift into gloominess. And I go, why? Because that's dangerous. Yeah. But it's real. And if you look in uh, Luke 19.1, it says, Inter, uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. See, Zacchaeus, this is still in the old covenant, right? Jesus was walking, but he hadn't died yet and rose from the dead. So God could, Jesus could forgive sins while he was on earth. And, and he was the walking word of God. So he, like, just as when we study and come to Jesus and really want to believe in Jesus and really understand the plan of salvation from the scriptures, you got to be divinely touched like this. It can't just be a conversation. It, you have to have uh, information. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So it can't just be an emotional, you know, uh, under, understanding. It has to be a conviction of one who grasps and comes to faith. And you know the difference. Because look at this dude. 
This dude was seeking God. And we are doing our first principles series. And I hope uh, all the members are fired up about it because this is equipping you on how to share fundamental truths of the scriptures that when you find someone that wants to know about God in almost any genre, these topics are very important. Seeking God, you cannot find God, he says, unless you seek him with all your heart, he will be found. You cannot find him. You can't just go, I'll just make a little time and dab here and there. No, you got to, once you understand, you got to, once you go, wow, and you understand that God says this, now you got to get this elated respect for God and reverence and go, wow, I may not know anything else, but God says, hey, he needs to be of first importance. And he's not going to just be treated nonchalantly. God is God and we aren't. But you see this change in Zacchaeus is because he stands up and he was a small in stature, right? And he could have been, and and he would have easily, it would have been easy to overlook him. But Jesus saw what? Jesus saw not only this little man in the sycamore tree, but also the desire of his heart. What was going on here? We don't know totally, but we know he made an effort to climb this tree, and he must have heard about Jesus, and he was very interested. And he had what the world would say, finances. Chief tax collector, he was well off financially. And yet we know that there was something lacking because a man of his stature wouldn't probably even climb a tree because he wouldn't want to be looked like a fool. Like, what's this little guy climbing, this man climbing this tree? But he didn't care. I think when you're looking for God, it's like you don't care anymore what people think. It's like, I'm going to figure it out. And Jesus saw that. And he said, come down on that tree. I see you're really interested. Let's see how you respond. And, and once he understands what Jesus had done and he realized all the other people were muttering, these people didn't get it. These people, they began to mutter and said he'd gone to the, be the guest of a sinner. It shows just by these people's judgment, not, there's no way they were right with God, even though they were Jewish people. Because they were self-righteous and arrogant and judgmental. And they were already thinking somehow, who are you guys? To even say that about somebody shows immediately you're, you're, not, you're not right with God or you're terribly in a bad place and you better repent seriously. Yeah. began to mutter, who's that person coming? But we see in verse 8, he stands up in front of everybody. That takes nerve because he's in a pretty, he's, he's with the Pharisees, he's in, the, in, in the, this, this, this crowd where he stands up and makes a stand. He goes, look, and it says exclamation point. Lord, he said to the Lord, look, Lord, stands up so everybody hears. He's talking to Jesus, here and now I'm giving half of my possessions back to, to, to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give four times back. So no one told him to do that. Why? Well, this is the most important thing we have to understand. Is that a, divi- a decisive reversal of attitude happened with him. And see, it's when, you, when you start to get right with God and you get cut by God's word, it's not just head knowledge. You start to make a defining, it's like a defining change of pattern of life. Things that were important become not that important. See, money, God says, I know we all need it. He says that. He, he decided, right? He says, do not worry. I'm going to give you all these things, food, clothing, and shelter, which takes money, but seek first the kingdom. But Zacchaeus was all about money. 
Even cutting corners and being, uh, you know, dishonest, it even implicates in other areas. And, and, he, that, and even him saying, if I've cheated anybody, I want to give half. He goes, I, I know I'm wrong. Because wealth was his whole key to be super successful, the chief, and, and, and to have power. And he goes, it's over. And now an amazing change of attitude to gratitude, and then totally giving over half of his stuff. Jesus didn't tell him to do that. He was just blown away. Whatever it takes, I'm not just going to go, what exactly do I need to do to get right with God? Where does it say sin? It's like, I'm changing. So somehow we know that he was moved divinely by the power of God. That's what it means today. And so many people come and go from churches, church, and just go man and out and don't and miss it. Yeah. I did that for many years. Uh, so we see that's what Jesus looks at. He doesn't look at this short man that his stature. He looked and saw the heart. Amen. He looked and saw the desire of the man's heart. Because if he looks at all of our hearts, we're all sinners. But what's the desire? Well, this man wanted to know God, and he climbed up in a tree, so that was the first step. Seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So when you're understanding that, if you don't keep seeking God, you're going to lose out with him. Not only when you find him, you you keep him a first appointment, a a priority. So he invites Zacchaeus to his house, and despite Jesus' reception of the sinners there talking against him, it would have been a real weird vibe in that place. They're, they're, so there's already a, you can feel this, this uncomfortable vibe. Yeah. And we know that Zacchaeus had been changed by this encounter with the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he resolved to give to the poor and make restitution. So this, this decisive reversal of attitude and direction, change in direction uh, toward wealth, and a willingness to spend it, not in a shrewd, worldly way, but to spend it with eternal life in view. Use his success platform, be honest, transparent, but then use his wealth in an eternal view, which means everything we do should be a platform to build God's kingdom once you've found him. And, you know, this one-time's missions is, you know, I read that letter a while back. we planting churches, but, and they, they didn't want to ask us, all the churches in a movement, if you're visiting, we have churches all over the world together, just like the movement in the first century, one church under God, we share resources, people, and money yeah. to continue to get churches planted around the world that really bring the gospel and teach it correctly, because um, I wasn't taught, and I was around churches all my life, and we're not saying... There's other churches that don't teach correctly, but you got to ask yourself, if you're a disciple, how do you know you're a disciple, and what is the kingdom of God, and how did you repent from sin, and how do you know what, what, how, if you were saved or believe in Jesus, how do you know if you're saved? What's it take as a new, as in the new covenant? And that's humility, but this was majorly changed. So now let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, because blinded no more, Zacchaeus was blinded in his way of life, and that's what I see most people, and why I have such a heart and, and a profound status. So if you're growing as a disciple, which you are, because you're seeking God and continue to go, 
you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get dis disillusioned. You're going to get weary when loved ones around you and people that you want to actually share this with don't really respond and may even be persecution. It wears you down. It makes you sad. It can actually, it, it, and Satan's trying to beat you down where you just go and just become passive. Look in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel, gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of God and Christ, who is the image of God. See, I love this scripture, and when I was in Arizona, I needed this scripture. I was preaching in, in Phoenix, but I was doing my quiet times, and I was feeling sad, and I was doing quiet, and I found this scripture again, and I go, oh, God, thank you, this is it. It just didn't make me still happy, that, but I said, wow, it's not me. I'm willing. I have a desire. I want to help people. But good night. It's a gift if you can see the truth and become a disciple. If you became a disciple, the road is narrow. Few find it. If you're a disciple, you got to understand, it's a miracle for Zacchaeus to jump up. All four foot of him or whatever. He's a short man. I picture him as a cartoon character, like one of those round guys with the little feet. You know, because it says he's short, but I don't know what he looked like, but he was short. It says he was short. But for him to stand up in front of everybody when he's the chief tax collector for all those years, people knew him. Yeah. Probably wasn't warm and friendly, and we came. He had the authority to put you in prison and take everything if you didn't listen and, and charge whatever you wanted. Yeah. He probably had a man of authority and prominence and wealth, but he sure was feared in a wrong way. Yeah. And when he stood up like that and went, this day I give half. And I want to pay back anyone four times what I did. People in there were probably going, what in the world's happened to him? Because the veil came off. He had been blinded. He had been blinded. Look at what it says in verse 4. The God of this age, which is Satan, because he is the God of this age. God's not weak. God has to give us the purest form of his power, which is love, which the purest form of love is unconditional. You're not, for, you're not gonna be forced. You're not gonna have any agendas. It's this is who I am, I created you. There is an end, there is eternal life. Everybody's gonna be living forever. If you choose not to be with me, it's going to be what the Bible teaches is hell, but God doesn't put you in hell. God says, you get to decide. If you don't wanna be with me now, then you won't wanna be with me in eternity. And it's gonna be miserable because God is love and the complete absence of God will be after the world ends. There's still love. Not sinners and ungodly people still experience the sun, the rain, their heart beating. That's love. God's letting them get up every day and keep their pulse going. That's kindness. That's grace. That'll be all gone. Because God, once he closed it, the absence of love. God is love. There's no possibility to love anymore. It'll just be the worst place to be. God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So you kind of can even see this in Zacchaeus now because the way he was living and then climbing that tree was unorthodox. And then when he just makes that incredible statement standing up, 
you know that he'd been blinded. And we know the song, I was blind, but now I can see. Yeah. Amazing grace. That's what it means. Boom. It's, it, it's, it, and, and you have to be hit again and again and again to remind yourself what you have despite what's going on around you. See, the gospel is open and revealed to everyone now. Jesus is the final plan of God. It's open to everyone except those who refuse to believe it. Satan, the god of this age, works to deceive, and he has blinded those who do not believe in Christ's message. But he's deceived those in a counterfeit form of Christ. People claim Jesus, but their life, they don't even understand what they're saying. If they knew what they were saying, it'd be insane. I was one of those people. I have friends at this reunion. I won't use their names because it's not, doesn't matter. And the reason I knew this is that we were talking, and one of my friends, I didn't even, you know, six, five of them want, said they were going to come to church. One did show. My One I've known for 46 years. And he's very well off. He's short, too. <laughs> but he's not dishonest. He's very generous, but he's very well off. Very well off. I'd say, you know, I don't know if he's told me his wealth, but I know he's a millionaire. Easy. And I grew up with him since seventh grade, and he just, he's been very successful, but he's very generous. And he came to church. And the other ones didn't, even though they said, but that's common. I didn't go, oh, where are they? I already know the odds of people coming, coming to anything godly you invite. There's a battle going on immediately, even if they don't know it. The, Satan, the god of this age, is working to stop anyone that's going to be shown correctly the scriptures. And he deceives us, and he blinds those who don't understand. He blinds us. And he tries to deceive us with the allure of money, power, the way to use money, what the American dream, they say, is, you know, or the Australian dream, what that means is on the other side of the world, believe it or not, Australia is known as the American dream. I didn't know that until I was over there. And, the, and why is because people try to come from the countries that are disadvantaged over there, and Australia is looked at like the American, I mean, like the Australian prosperity. So it's just not America. People look at any country. Whatever country's seemingly doing better and there's money, people will look, I want to go there. Because, and it's a lie. The American dream is a lie in God's eyes. Don't get me wrong. It's great to have ben, uh, opportunities and what that, I mean, human beings should have that created around everybody. It's great. But it's not the end all, the end all, and that's what happens here. People get their degree, or they get their education, or they go for their business, or whatever they're building, and that's great, by, by, by the way. Live it out and be successful. But if that's the end all, the end all, and you just have an intellectual belief in God, but you don't understand it, you miss the whole point, and you've been blinded. Because it's not going to be enough. You're going to always be empty. The God of this age. Um. Those who reject the truth of Christ to become a true disciple and prefer their own pursuits have unknowingly made Satan their God. That's why it says the God of this age. They may never say that, but they're honoring a God. God of this age, the devil, arch enemy, arch enemy of God, and the unseen power 
behind all unbelief and ungodliness. So, Paul calls it the present age in Galatians 1 verse 4. In this present age blinded the minds of unbelievers. And then he continues to use the imagery of the veil that covers the divine faces. So let's continue to look into this. Number one, point number one, sadness comes with maturing in your purpose. So I wish I could tell you, part of that's real. You're doing well if you have a, a, a sadness, but you got to balance that and you got to re-give it to God because otherwise you can feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. Not in a self-righteous way. You could just feel pressure like, am I being effective? If you're kind and loving and going to God and praying and going, God, help me, and, 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 and then you go, help me to be willing and available, then you're going to be effective, but you're not going to be, as far as numbers, most people are not going to want it. Doesn't mean you stop, don't stop. But it's not up to you. That's what I'm saying. Just keep doing what God wants you to do. And that means seek and save the lost. Look in Luke 1937. 1937. That was a very good year. I wasn't born. Luke 1937. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. <laughs> That's so powerful. In verse 41, it says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Let's stop there for a minute. Jesus saw the city. And they were honoring him. This was what many call Palm Sunday. Palms, palm trees were very available there. I've been to Jerusalem, uh, and I've been in the old city. And, I, and even when they're talking about this, the Mount of Olives has not really ever been built on it, the, where the Garden of Gethsemane is. It's like on, on a slope, and they still have old, like, uh, petrified wood uh, olive trees. Olive trees, like 2,000 years old, just hanging over them. Sonia's with me. And uh, you can see it. Yeah. And you can see the old city still has the wall around it. It's very amazing if you ever plan a trip there. It's really amazing. Because you can actually be in places where you know Jesus literally walked around there. But you're seeing that. And you see this when Jesus approached the city of Jerusalem. He was coming down the hill by the Mount of Olives. And he could see it as he's heading down into the city and looking at it. And he wept over it. In verse 42, it says, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and will encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children, within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. See, He's, he's, people are going, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're, they're, they're actually very excited. So why is he weeping? 
Because those same people that said Hosanna three days later were going, crucify him. So it all changed real quick. So he's not, he, Jesus wasn't those people. Jesus doesn't get, you know, doesn't just go, you know, quick, quick word followers. He goes, people are fickle. He actually says over and over, he goes, I know what's in the heart of you people, us, humans. He says this. And he saw how fickle they were. Because they thought it was going to be their idea of what God would be for them as a king. And he thought he was going to come in and take over as a general and, and, and create an army and go against the Romans and take them out. And then Jesus starts saying, I'm going to die on the cross. And they're like, what? That's not what we want. We want revenge and we want these Romans driven out. And what he, why he says, if you even knew. You had only known on this day what would bring peace. And when, see, Zacchaeus actually got it. He knew not only did he call, nothing was more important. Everything that was important to him became not important. And he just goes, whatever. I cannot believe. And that's a divine miracle. Something opened by his desire of realizing it's not enough. I want God. And he got it. And that, but these people and most of the world doesn't. And he says that's why. He says, you don't even know that this day, you got peace coming in you. Peace of mind, peace for eternity. And he says here, it's hidden from your eyes. The veil. He's talking about Satan. He says, and now it's hidden from your eyes. Jesus doesn't want it hidden. He preached for three days, for three years. He, they, they, he preached over and over. But he knew the power of sinful people and our sinful nature and the freedom of choice he has to give every one of us. From that time on. And he knew that's why he was so sad. That's why he wept. And let me just tell you what weep means. Well, you know, Jesus loved the city of Jerusalem, by the way. And every year, he went into that city as a visitor, participating in the annual Passover. He was raised as a Jew. Last time he entered Jerusalem, this last time, he would not come in as a visitor, but as a king to many. But as the people shouted Hosanna and they were praising him and waved their branches in the air, they were anticipating, like I said, Jesus to be a military king. And he would lead them into war against the Roman government who was oppressing them, persecuting them, and imposing heavy taxations on them, which is not right. But see, these people didn't, they just wanted their material thing. That's why people get so heated over politics. If you're a true Christian, if you get heated and get mad because someone disagrees with you on your politics, you got to refocus on where you at with God because yeah. you should be interested. But if you get so heated because someone is voting different than you, there's a weirdness. I go, you're not a Christian. How can you get angry? That's weird to me. That means you're putting all your stock in the worldly powers. That's going to change you. It's never going to change you. Politicians will give you their agenda, and most people go, this is going to change this time. Nothing's ever changed. Nothing ever does change. It's a bell of sales. It's bull. I've been alive for 59 years. It doesn't matter who's been president. I've gone on as I've gone on. You work hard, you're, you don't whine, and you don't say, poor me, and you get back up. And guess what? You will figure it out. You don't listen to some governors or people that's trying to, you know, just, you got to let that go. Amen. So as he goes down, 
The cry wasn't a normal cry that we think. The Greek word for weeping is klalio. And this means intense sobbing. The actual Greek translation, when it says Jesus wept, he was intensely sobbing uncontrollably. I mean, you would have noticed it. Like, you ever come up with someone that's so upset they're sobbing? You're like, what's wrong? That was Jesus sobbing because people weren't going to understand what he's doing. There's two reasons why Jesus cried over the city. People missed the peace that was right in front of them. That's what happens today. Many of us, think how long it took for you to realize it. And, you know, shalom in Hebrew is peace. Jerusalem is supposed to be the city of peace. There's nothing been farther from the truth. Since Jesus on, Jerusalem has been the most traumatic, turmoil, divided, insane place to be. War has never left there. Hostility, insanity. The second reason is that people were going to face a future judgment because at the end of the verse here, he says here um, in verse 44, they will dash you to the ground, you, your children, within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So this was a physical judgment, but if, if it's obvious when he says you, because you did not recognize, he could have changed history, but he didn't. And what had happened is in 70 A.D., they call it the Great Siege. He was there in about 33 A.D., and he was saying, this is going to be terrible for you guys. And he says, because you don't recognize what I am, there's a consequence. And the, the Roman general Titus, this is historical, came and he constructed barricades and ramps in order to take the city of Jerusalem. He brought troops to surround the city, and the troops waited till the Jews were famished and starving. So he blocked everything, got them really weak and starving, and then they rushed in and slaughtered thousands of them. It's, called, it was, it's referred to as the Great Siege in 70 A.D. This, is by many, was considered the first Holocaust ever recorded because it was the slaughtering of thousands and thousands and thousands of men, women, and children, Jewish people. But you gotta see, this might sound brutal, but look at God's words. Because you did not, he said, there will not leave one stone on another in, in that last verse. And he says, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Make no mistake, if you don't make decisions for God, there's consequences. And God's patient, but the beatings will come. You choose to not follow God's plan, singles, campus, as disciples, and fall in love and, and allure to someone who's not a disciple, living fully sold out for God. They have a nice personality. They say they love God, but you haven't verified it. You're heading for a consequence. Jesus is going to go, oh, my gosh, it might seem sweet now, but there's no way... The marriage is going to work if you're saying, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength as a disciple, and I will live to build God's kingdom and serve God. And the other person has a form of godliness, but they don't walk the talk as a disciple defined in the scriptures as Jesus defines it, which is a Christian, which is way different from the meaning of Christian in many places today. Yeah. Come on, 
you're going to just be in for it. It's going to be a war. That spouse is going to be going, you're going to that church again? That's all you know is those church people. Wow, you love those church people more than me. Because they don't understand because there's a veil. I love Jesus too. No, you don't. You think you do. You weren't converted correctly. But now it's too late. Now you're married. Now you have misery. Consequences. Anything. Any sin. Any sin you want to pick out, you keep sinning, there's consequences. You're impure. Your mind gets warped. Your mind gets diluted. Your mind is, is already destroying yourself for your future spouse. Or if you're married, you're already destroying yourself and separating your marriage by the illusion and the porno and the evil you're putting in your brain. You lie. You feel guilty. Even if you're an atheist, you feel guilty. Because you can't get away from it. God created you. So Jesus looked upon that city he loved and wept because he knew the future judgment was coming. And he still, God sees it now. And he's sad. And, and that's why he says, I'm not rushing the second coming. I'm, I'm not slow in keeping the promise. I'm slow because I want everyone to come to repentance and find God. And everybody's lifespan is their grace. When they die, their eternity's fixed. Look at Hebrews 12.1. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so you won't grow weary and lose heart. That's what I'm fighting. And I need to see scriptures like that because I'm coming, I'm fighting through it. But I'd love to see this because then I don't feel like I'm weird or something's going on. Well, I can grow weary and lose heart. Because of the opposition for year after year after year. I've seen churches come and go. I've seen movements come and go. I've seen people that aspire, that I was admired, that were great leaders in my life, fall away, divorce, and have no recognizable life of a Christian. That gets in your brain. That disillusions you. And that's why he says fix your eyes on Jesus, not on each other. Amen. You put God first, and then whoever is a disciple, you love one another and help each other grow, but you don't freak out when they fall away, because they probably will, some of them. I hope all of you make it, but I've been in front of congregations for 27 years, and I can't say, and I, don't, I just assume if you're a disciple, you're going to make it. But I can't speak for that. I just know the Bible speaks the truth. Many will turn back and not follow Jesus. Because you didn't do this. Look in Colossians 3.1. Because I have, and I'm just telling you, I can get disillusioned. I am fighting it. But I'm looking at the scripture, so I'm preaching to me and you guys. Because I'm like, what's it worth in, in a humanistic plane? What's it worth? Where do we get how come it takes so long to even get 100 people, members in the church here? It's just ridiculous. I'm freaking tired of it. I just want to get someone else take over. That's where I can go as a man. 
But then I realized because it's, every soul is so precious, yes. the blood of Jesus had to die and a miracle had to happen for someone to get it. Yes. And the God of this age is so powerful feeding the sinful nature. It's just people wanting to change yes. and not want the desires of what, what the world says. Right. Yeah. Mama Maggie, where is she? Come on, Mama Maggie. There she is. She, two weeks ago, she got baptized and she saw it. Colossians 3.1. Since then you've been raised, since, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. Set your uh, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, not, who, not part of your life, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, because of what, what he just said, because of what just was told you, you have to do the things before you can actually have the conviction to put to death. You need to understand. He's speaking to people who made the decision to be disciples, the church in Colossus. Uh, Colossians, and it says, he says, set your heart, because you've been raised with Christ. See, when you're baptized into Christ, you die to yourself, God forgives your sins, and you you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you're born again. You're you're raised to a new change of attitude, change of direction, even though your sinful nature can sneak in there every day. If you don't set, set your hearts on things above, where Christ seated, and set your mind every day. That means deny yourself, carry Christ. If you don't set your mind and heart and realize you've been raised with Christ, you will get focused on earthly things again. Yeah. You set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Earthly things come first, you lose God. Yeah. But you need earthly things. Yeah, you do. But you just have to keep that priority. Yeah. God is always first, and I use these things as a platform to serve you, God. Right. And he says, you died. Your life's hidden with Christ. What's that mean? You're safe. You're still here, but your life is hidden with Christ. You have eternal life. You're safe. And that's why it says here in verse 5, put to death, therefore, because of what we just said, therefore. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, any kind of sex outside of marriage is sin. The only sex God condones is between a husband and a wife Committed for life and marriage. Amen. That gets so many people in the world. I know I was on that. I don't, I don't, it's rare I study with someone that hasn't been impure or sec- sexually immoral. Yeah. It's just so powerful. And it says here, put to death whatever belongs to your sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil. Lust can be not only sexually, but lust for material, wealth, power. Yeah advancement your job is your god your money is your god where where your zip code is your god what you drive is your god who you are is what you have and that's my god evil desires greed which is idolatry because of these the wrath of god is coming see the wrath of god came to jerusalem to all the jewish people in 70 a.d because they rejected jesus as the final plan of god Today, a lot of people meet a Jewish person and they'll go, I'm Jewish, and sometimes you don't know what to do with it. They're not saved. Jewish people are not saved. Just because they go to synagogue 
They were a people of God, but when they stopped and refused Jesus, they went from a people of God to no longer right with God. So I just want to make sure, just because someone comes off, you got to go, wow, well, Jesus was Jewish, and Jesus is the final plan of God. Well, let's look at some scriptures. But a lot of people don't know what to do with that. They go, oh, okay, you're Jewish. The wrath of God is coming. Because Jesus said they didn't accept him there, and it happened to be all Jewish people that refused, and they were all destroyed. Men, women, and children were destroyed. Brutally killed and murdered because God's protection backed out because they didn't want him. So the powers to be in the world took him over. See, God, when you're hidden with Christ, the powers in the world can't do anything to you more than God allows or causes. You're hidden with Christ. You're safe. Well, you can say, why are things happening to me? Because you're not reading your Bible enough. When trials of all kinds come your way, consider it as an opportunity for joy. Oh, okay. Instead of whining, go, wow, it's time for you to exercise your Christianity muscles and grow in your faith and take, take the hardships. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, you use. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. A lot of the people were telling me they're Christians in my reunion and swearing left and right and drunk. Why do I know that? Because I studied the Bible enough to know that's what I was doing until I understood that I need to rid myself. I used to walk in these ways. And so swearing doesn't become a pattern for me, and I had to learn not to swear and to not get wasted. Yeah. But they didn't know because the veil was over their eyes. They didn't, it's obvious they don't know, yeah. but they claim God. That's interesting. There's a lot of pride in, with people claim God. You just got to be lucky that God wants you. Let's, and you're like, okay, God, what do you want? shouldn't be like, oh, I'm a Christian, real prideful. In verse 8, it says, but now you must also rid. And then it says in verse 10, uh, you put on, well, verse 9 says, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Point number two, stay happy because you're saved. Point two, stay happy because you're saved. Happy is superlatively happy, blessed. Blessed. If you don't savor your salvation and get beat down by, because it looks like, it almost looks like it's the opposite. The Bible says the road is narrow, narrow and few will find it. And the road of destruction is wide and many enter through it. It almost seems like that scripture is not correct to how many people self-proclaim they're saved. Yeah. And why we're not the judge, it's shocking. But when you study the Bible enough for your own self and really strive to walk with Jesus, you can understand people that just don't understand. Not in a judgment way, because you got to understand, you got to know. If you care and love the lost, you got to understand. A lot of people think they're right when they're not. Most of us were like that. Yeah. Until we took time to look at the Bible and honestly let it cut us. Yeah. I remember when they were asking me, you know, according to what you've read and everything, and you've been sharing with your life, you think you're saved? I'm like, I could, what could I do? I was like, no. <laughs> it was shocking. It was a defining moment. It was so powerful. It was like, shit, it was scary. I still remember the house I was in in Hollywood Hills in L.A. I was 31. And they're like, I'm 30. No, I was 33. And no, I was baptized at 31. Excuse me, I was 31. I got married at 33. 
But I remember that. I can still remember. Many of you can in your darkness study when you really got honest with the scriptures and they were breaking it down. I would have thought I was right with God. And I remember when I took enough interest and kept seeking. And they're letting the scriptures talk. And then they just ask questions. And I just go, I'm an idiot if I say I'm saved. It's like I'm just like forcing my way onto God. I'm seeing the Bible. It's just so convicting. But I was like, oh. I just walked out of there like totally like a deflated play toy. You know, just totally like, wow, I got to figure this out. And you know what? Nothing else mattered till I did. Everything stopped mattering. When I really knew I need to figure out how to be saved, everything, my schedule, my agenda, you know, I went to work, but I was like, everything else, it was nothing like, well, I'll get with you 10 days from now. No, I, anything I could besides work, I just changed. Because I wanted to. They didn't have to, for, they didn't have to go, hey, you want to get together enough? You got to be urgent. No, I was freaking going, when do we get together next? Because I need to know what I need to do and how to change, and I need to know enough so I can really make sure I'm right. And they're, okay. They almost had to slow me down. They said, we don't want to have it go too fast. You've got to understand and chew on this. I was like, no, I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> I was 31. I was deep lost in my sins. I, you know, t- t- 20s, I surprised God let me live. Look in Luke 10, 16. Stay happy because you're saved. Stay happy because you're saved. Not because 25 people came to church with you. Stay happy because you're saved. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes, scorpions, and to overcome the, all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, this is pretty awesome, but he, Jesus goes, however, everything I just said, listen up. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you and you can see Satan fall like lightning. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. No one can take that from you. No one can take that from you. Point number three is stay motivated in purpose because you're saved. If you don't stay motivated in your purpose, it almost is better. It almost helps you more than it helps the person you're helping understand the truth. Because God's plan was for you to participate in the eternal, changing the eternal destination of men and women. To keep you excited. To see God work as you live it out. And in 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, as we come in for a landing, we're going to follow this through back to where we were, right? Because he says that veil, right? That veil is going to come off. And if you're a disciple, you know it came off. Think about how different. You still struggle and fight things, but you know the direction you're going, and it doesn't matter. The stuff that you used to give in and just live, you're like, no, no, no. God, forgive me. Help me change, right? It's like a total direction, even though it's challenging. And if you look at, uh, if you look at uh, let's just get a running start and go from uh, uh, verse um, 4. The, the, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, we'll get a running verse. We're just going to go down. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then we continue to read here. It says, for we preach... What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So see, if you've made Jesus Christ Lord, 
That's what has to happen before Savior. You can't just go, Jesus is my Savior. You missed out because the salvation issue is Lord. See, that's why staying motivated in your purpose keeps you saved. A lot of people have been taught wrong, and they go, Jesus Christ is my Savior. Or they say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, but they don't really, they skipped over Lord. To, to put someone as Lord of your life, that's, not, that's a big deal. Yeah. Jesus knows it's a big deal. In the scripture, it says, sit down, think about it, don't get emotional. It's like building something. This is going to take a major change. Everything about you is going to change. It's not, and I don't want just this funny phase for six months. You better really understand this is me. So as he keeps reading, Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For Christ said, let light shine out of darkness. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in, in our body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. For we, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Christ's sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And that's where, you get to, that's where you can get weary, you can lose heart, and as you get older, age even comes into it, and stuff that happens, your body's breaking down. We're in a jar of clay, and jars back then were made of pottery, so they have to be handled delicately. So we need to handle each other delicately. Amen. Because if it's a jar and you treat each other in a harshly undelicate way, you can crack us. We're in jars of clay carrying around salvation. You know, a pottery jar, if you knocked it over or just threw it at somebody and they dropped it, it cracks, it breaks. So we're very fragile with God. God is all-powerful, but we're fragile. I'm fragile. I'm fighting. Spinal cord, energy, Sonia sees me. I, I couldn't go to the thing last night. I get very tired and weary, and in my mind will take me. I just got to leave. I got to quit. I'm done. And then I'll catch my mind and go, no, no, I'm not done. But I'll feel like that. Not every day, but those happen. And I just go, what else? I, you know, have I made a dent? I don't know. You'll feel that way. That's a lie. You know what you did? You're glorifying God, and you received by faith and understanding his grace. So saying every day, I love you, God, and Jesus is my Lord, you're making a huge dent. God is so proud of you. Amen. It's not about results from your point of view, but God is using you. Don't get deceived. Fight it. Share it like me when you feel that way. I'm here. I, everything in my body didn't want to be here. Even before we preached, I'm sitting there going, oh, my fingers, my legs, my back. My eyes are aching. I just, I just got to get out. But I just go, I'm doing it because that's my role. And you're going to feel that way too as a disciple and realize it's a battle. The God of this age is trying to get you back on you, put that veil back on you and let you see what he thinks is your truth. So we need to stay in each other's lives and help each other. We need to stay in the Bible, but realize if you have sadness, that's normal. 
It's not even a bad thing. Just give it to God and handle it, and you'll still have that joy above it. Because it is sad. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. We look at the news, it's depressing. The sin and destruction of mental minds that are controlled are destroying the world and each other. There's always people killing people. It's disgusting. It's so heartbreaking. That is the sinful nature. That's the God of this age. Human beings are doing these things. So stay in this beautiful bubble that God wants the whole world to be in. But this is a slice of heaven, God's family. True disciples of Jesus is the closest thing on earth to heaven because even though we're sinful, we're striving to love one another. And Josie said in the welcome, you know, we really love you all and we really love each other and that's what we do and even though we have attitudes and we hurt each other's feelings we understand Christ is in us and we we go back and we make the effort to go can we talk I'm sorry and we continue to do things that a lot of times if we weren't Christians we just go I don't want to talk to him they hurt me I'm done or just carry around the attitude and be fake hi you can't be fake so blinded no more and realize that's what you have. Don't let Satan beat you. I've been doing this. I've been a disciple not even half my life yet because I, I became a Christian late. But I've been a disciple 27 years. And I'm, they just, they're doing some things on me medically. And the doctor said the average male will live to about 77. And I told Sonia today, what the heck? I'm 60 in January. That means I got 17 years. Now, that's not accurate, but that's the, that's the average of a male. I, of a male in America, I think it is. I think it's a Caucasian male. I don't know. But the women live longer. Now, my dad's 81, and he's still around. But I'm like, wow. I've been doing this long. This long. I'm not quitting for no one. I'm going to the grave and then to heaven, and to God be the glory. Amen. 